0: We'll, um, We'll guard ourselves, right? The title is Guard your Guard Your Freedom in Christ, right? Well, Colossians is a very important epistle. We've been studying this for quite a few weeks now and of course, we've noticed that it uh, focuses on the truth of Christ. Who else would you want to study about, right? than Christ Himself. And it's uh, certainly been a blessing to me as we've gone through it. And I trust that it's been a blessing to you guys as we learn more about Christ. And anytime time we look at Him, we uh, learn a little bit more of the depth and the, the height and the, the width. Realize a little bit more of who He is. And we know that He's supreme. We know that He is sufficient in everything. He is God. He is all in all, is He not? And he, uh, he is all. He is complete. And of course, as we understand these things, that He is complete, and then we find out that we are complete in Him, it really rings true in the sense that He is everything we need. Everything. Even though... Sometimes we wonder, you know, is there something I'm missing? But He is absolutely sufficient. There is nothing to add to Him, not one iota. I think, however, there are people that would like to tell us different. Yes, Christ is okay, but there's more to life than that. There's more in this life than Jesus Christ. He is not all there is. Some would actually say that. And uh, some would say, yeah, but there are different ways to believe too. You know, we must be tolerant. They'll tell you that. You've heard that. <laughs> uh, they'll tell you there's more things to seek for. Of course, the people who do all those Eastern religions, they've been seeking They'll seek from one religion to the next. They'll jump like a frog does on the lily pads, you know, or whatever, and they'll just go from one to another. The Colossians were uh, getting that kind of teaching, uh, infiltrating the church, heresy teachers, will call them. And uh, they were after more spirituality, greater piety. They would appear to people that they were experiencing things And there were other things than just Christ. You must do this. You must do that. You must believe this. must believe that. Outside of Christ. And um, they would be very intimidating to these early believers of uh, Colossae Church. And Paul has a need to write to them. That's why we're on this today. Um, Many were succumbing to the very temptation. Uh, Maybe there's something else. Maybe there is something that uh, I'm missing here. I don't want to miss something if there's something else out there. So Paul keeps driving home the point that Christ is all in all. Christians are lacking nothing. You are complete in Christ. And of course, in Philippians 2, verse 8, we saw that Paul talked about philosophy. And there were many philosophies in the Greek realm that day that were being taught. Uh, definitely Paul ran up against that. We know Athens. But uh, yes, out even in uh, Colossians, or to the Colossae church, this was happening too. And so there's this error. um, And it's really limiting Christ. Uh, It's taking away his deity. Uh, There are other principles that they were teaching. And this reflects to us too. And we recognize that... um, There's an empty deception in philosophies and man-made traditions. There's nothing there, and Paul says, "But the completeness, the fullness, is in Christ." Now that's simple. We, you know, we know that. We hear that. We've read that. But we must be reminded um, that we are alive together with Him. That's what we looked at last week. We died with Him. We were buried. We rose with Him, and we are alive this day, right now, we're with him. So Paul mentioned some other things now besides the philosophy that he mentioned where we were looking at last week, or the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, I think, we did the philosophy thing, and then we showed that we died. Uh, we were in baptism with him and, and rose, and uh, he has defeated the enemy. Now with all that... He mentions some of the things that were coming into the church and he doesn't want them to drift away from the gospel. There are a lot of isms that we know of today. The isms. Uh, They had the isms back then, the legalism, the mysticism, and the asceticism. That kind of covers a lot. And uh, that's what he's battling and Paul has to have warnings because these things are rather subtle. And you'd say, well, does this really apply to us today? Do we have legalism? Do we have mysticism, asceticism in the church? Well, oh, we must take warning because these things have always been there and they're always there to rob the freedom that we have in Christ. And we don't want our freedom taken away, do we? And uh, it's not taken away by Christ, but it is by these false kind of teachings. Let's um, open our Bibles up. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Wow, Paul is rather graphic in this text as he's inspired by God's Spirit. And uh, he is kind of like what Christ would be in the sense that Christ addressed false religions. And boy, did he attack heresies. And so when legalism was involved in Judaism, Christ ripped it apart. And uh, he saw it in the Pharisees, and the scribes, and the hypocrites. Paul was well aware of legalism as Christ uh, had often warned people. And he knew it was really a religion that is involving human achievement. Because that's really what these things are. Um, in Galatians chapter 5... Galatians is definitely a book that Paul addresses legalism. And so you could take out almost any verse here and quote it. This is dealing with freedom or liberty that we have in Christ. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keeping and standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery. He says you have been bought out of the bondage. You are now free in Christ. I think that's a good thing to be thinking about. We are free in Christ because of what He's done for us. Now, if you go to Titus chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, "...not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. So, that is a little bit of Paul's writing. and We know it's all over the uh, the epistles. But it's Christ plus works. Man-made religion. Things that are added on. They're rules. And they're rules to measure one's spirituality. This is how we measure if one's really a Christian or not. And so therefore they'll put him up against what they have made in their own laws. And uh, we know that Christ finished his work. We've seen that in the previous chapter, uh, the previous text that we were uh, involved with last week. As he disarmed the rulers and authorities. And we see the perfect triumph. And we know in Christ is where we are found uh, in our spirituality, Christ, they say, is not really sufficient because the cross didn't do the complete work. And so he starts giving us some examples, and they are days, diets, or diets and days. That's what we'll look at first. He's already touched on circumcision, hasn't he? We looked at that last week. This sounds a little bit like Judaism that was kind of invading in there. Some of the old law, whatever. And uh, so we see that he says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. So there are the foods, the diet. There are some who are saying, well, you know, the way to God and the way to spiritual fullness is going to be enhanced. You'll have a more fullness... If you pay attention to the dietary laws, the rules, and in the Old Testament, uh, you think of Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 11, for instance, you'll see where you have clean foods and unclean foods. Of course, we know that uh, Peter was given a vision and uh, by by the Lord, and he was supposed to be shown that the Gentiles who would eat unclean food were going to now be included into God's plan, and they were to receive the gospel, and they would become believers. And so Paul, or Peter, gets a real graphic illustration of that in a, in a, in a vision. And God is also showing that I'm not binding people to even those food laws anymore. They were there to separate people from other people. That was the Jews. And there is also, I think, some really good aspects there to follow. And some of those foods are very unhealthy to eat. Some things you wouldn't want to even try, but some of the pagans will do that. But uh, the, the main point is is that the clean and unclean, we're not under those rules and laws. We don't have to say, okay, can I eat this? Uh, I'll be a sinner if I eat this food or whatever. Uh, go to chapter uh, 7 of Mark. And here we have Jesus speaking. And many times He talked about this. He's talking about the, the inward rather than the outward. And in Mark 7, verse 14... He says uh, this, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. I think when Jesus says, listen to me, and understand, I think it's time to get those ears cleaned out and make sure you hear everything he says, right? There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? (laughs) Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? We're not talking about the outward, he says. Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. He's saying, what is going to come from what's within here, from the heart is what he looks at, not those outward things. So it's even more than just food there. But They were concentrating on food so much that uh, he addresses that. If you look in Romans 14, now Romans is a book that deals with legalism and freedom. We have freedom in Christ, but there's a law of liberty there. And even if we do have freedoms, we are to be careful about those freedoms and that it wouldn't stumble other people up. We have to be careful about that. And that's what he stresses in this chapter. If you go to verse 17 of Romans 14, he says, "...for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit." We're not to get so hung up on the physical things and even the foods and such, you know, that's the, seems like the the biggest thing that they hung on to. Uh, the next book over, First Corinthians, chapter eight, and it's found in verse eight. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. Now that's interesting. There are people's that actually believe that there are certain days that you don't eat food at all, or you eat a particular food, or there's a particular meat, or meats you don't even eat at all, except for fish. You can eat fish on Fridays, right? I think this addresses this right at the heart. They're missing the whole point. Well, it makes us think about God more when we do this. Well, it makes them think that they're a little more spiritual that day. Of course, they load it up the night before at midnight and as soon as it's over the next day, they're just cramming themselves full of barbecue and you name it. And what good is it that they just done? It's absolutely worthless in that it is a show. That's part of the thing that uh, what Paul is saying here. Food doesn't make us closer to God one way or the other. Whether you eat it or whether you don't. It's neutral. Foods are never the measuring mark of spirituality. My. It's easy, isn't it? Hey, you can eat this, but you can't eat that. (laughs) There was a missionary couple who got so distraught that they left the mission field and came back to the States and quit mission work because there, out in the mission field, there were other missionaries And they were getting a special kind of food that you couldn't get anywhere else, only back in the United States. Anyway, what happened is that they would get it shipped from their friends. So they would get it. The other missionaries would say, no, we can't eat that food. And it kind of made a spiritual pride that they had. And the others that actually had this, what they did is they, they... they tried to keep it from them, but it was found out by the other missionaries and oh, they hopped all over them because they were not spiritual enough because they were not supposed to eat that. Now where in the Bible did that ever come from? Well, they made up their own little rule that they started putting on them and they had a huge arguments and it exploded and they left the mission field, came home, and that was it. Now, that, I mean, that's true. I mean, that's hard to believe, isn't it? Or how about how about another legalism thing? Let's say we're all going to take a vacation. We pack ourselves up in a bus, and we have the bus all filled up, and we're heading out to Oregon. And we wind up in, we're, let's say we're in California, and we're going straight up, and um, all of a sudden it's you know you know we've we've filled up with gas before, and all of a sudden we see these people that are out there pushing their cars. Everybody's pushing their car now as they near Oregon. And so they stopped the bus and they say, what's going on? And they say, well, we're, we're pushing the cars. What are you doing? What are you doing driving your car like this? They said, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. Here we are. We push cars. You know, this is cleaner for the air. It's a lot better for the air if we don't burn gasoline And it keeps us exercised if we push the car. And it will make us feel better by doing this. And so they expect us to take that bus and push it and never buy any more gasoline and push it to Oregon. (laughs) Now, that's the kind of things that are happening in the church world whenever rules and regulations are outside the Word of God. It's ridiculous. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? I could see it now, you know. I guess so. kind of reminds me of the Flintstones. Back to the Flintstone days. You know what? In John 6, I think Jesus makes it very clear again. In verse 41, but people still misunderstood, he would say, therefore the Jews were grumbling about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He's the bread. He's the food. He's what we feast on. Do we eat physical food? Yeah, of course. We have to stay alive. But he's saying, this is what it's about. This is what matters. This bread, Christ. Partake of Him. Eat of Him. Bread that came down from heaven. Right? Alright. So much for the food thing. How about the days? The legal system... Involved certain days. This is borrowed from the Old Testament. The law had its place; it had its time. It was a schoolmaster that was to help train and discipline the children of Israel, as the law pointed to the cross, the Messiah. Pointed to all those sacrifices, those days. You know, the feasts, the foods, and everything—they're really pointing to the Messiah. So they're awaiting the Messiah. And whenever He came, there is no longer a need for the schoolmaster. All of those things are not needed. And of course, in Colossians, He says here, um, no one should be judging you in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival. A festival. They had festivals. You can see that in Leviticus 23. Of course, you think of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, of course, think of the um, Feast of Passover, right? Um, feast of First Fruits, Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of uh, Trumpets, the Feast of the uh, Day of Atonement, the Feast of, uh, what was it, whenever they would get together and build their little uh, shacks, their Booth. little huts? Booth. Booths? A Feast of Booths? We need to build some booths out here this fall and spend a week or so a week out here. That would be pretty neat. Then we'd get our rains. A lot of rains. It has been a very much of a blessing to get that rain this week, was not it? Anyway, the festivals were there to really show Christ. A Feast of Unleavened Bread. Christ is our unleavened bread. He is the one without sin. He is the one we partake the Feast of Passover. Great little feast. Great teaching tool. Super. You know, we've taught on it many times. We've done it before many times. It's a great thing. But it, it, all it does is show the fulfillment of Christ. Christ is the Passover. Christ is the first fruits. He's already been resurrected. The Holy Spirit came in Acts 2. The church. Came alive with the Holy Spirit being filled in them like he had never been before. A fulfillment there. And, you know, you see these feasts and you recognize that's all dealing with Christ. There are feasts in the sense that uh, the trumpets, we look for, we, we, we want to hear that trumpet blast, don't we? As it says in 1 Corinthians 15. And be caught up together with Christ in the clouds as he comes. He is the utter fulfillment of atonement and we will be gathered to Him and live with Him. All those feasts are dealing with His first coming and His second coming. It's all dealing with what He has done. He is fulfilling or has fulfilled those feasts. If you look in 1 Corinthians 5-7, I just kind of said it, but um, He says... Oh, don't you like it when you turn to... Another book like Second Corinthians? Okay. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. Oh, yes. So those days, we're not under law to do those. If you wanted to teach about them, if you wanted to do it as something that can be... Uh, Showing how that was to be a fulfillment, it's a great thing. It's a good thing, but it's not anything that we will really have to do. How about new moons? You know, people getting together and uh, having a having some kind of a harvest moon thing. Yeah, that's okay, uh, but it's not a legal thing, right? It was the first day of the month, and there were sabbaths at that, that time. Uh, there are different sabbaths, believe it or not, or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Uh, there were certain Sabbath days like there could be a high, holy Sabbath day during the week of um, Passover, for instance. And then there could be another Saturday Sabbath. Um, so, those are during festivals. Weekly Sabbath, uh, of course, they knew what that was. That played a key role in the uh, system. And it still does, but it's been fulfilled too. Um, we know we look at it today as the Lord's Day, but the Sabbath really is what we've already entered into. There is now no need to worship on the Sabbath or Saturday, which some people do, and if they want to do that, I have no problem at all. Go ahead and do it. I mean, we could do it if we wanted to, but once we make it as a legal thing that we are to worship on that day and not on any other days, like Sunday, like what we do, now we've entered into a legalism. Seventh day Baptist, Seventh day Adventist, probably Seventh day Methodist. You probably look at every denomination, and somebody gets hung up on this Sabbath day and says, see, it's in the Ten Commandments, so we're to follow that. Well, you're already following that. Christ fulfilled that Sabbath. And so, there again, he's saying the same thing. People were getting hung up on that at that time. If you look at Revelation 1.10, just give you a few verses to equip you because you will run into this. And if you want to defend the faith, and maybe they wouldn't get so hung up on that, it's not a big deal. If they want to worship on that day, that's fine. It's okay. That's what they call to worship. But if they start saying that we're wrong and we're pagan and we're going to hell because of that, we can say, well, you know, scripturally, um, that's not true because look in Revelation 1.10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This is John writing this letter as he's revealed uh, the person of Christ and uh, this great revelation uh, book here that's, that's been given and on the Lord's Day whenever this happened. And then we go to 1 Corinthians 16 and they would say, well, Lord's Day, that, that's, that's on the Sabbath. <laughs> or that could be any day, right? Well, we'll get a little more clearer here. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, now, the first day is considered to be what? Sunday. Saturday is the seventh day. Sunday. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Evidently, they were making collections in the early church there, and as Paul would take those collections uh, then, and he would bring them to, let's say, Jerusalem. On the first day of the week, when you meet, when you're meeting, this is where this is where you do it. This is a good place to give. Do it on uh, when the church comes together. That you get that together and you know don't forget about it. So that that can be used whenever it's time to use it. Uh, in Acts chapter 20 verse 7, I've had to use these verses quite a few times, uh, mainly dealing with people that were e- even either Jehovah's Witnesses or some kind of cult, and I have dealt with it with Seventh day Adventist. And uh not to try to win an argument, that's not the purpose. The purpose is though, is that we are set free in Christ, come out of that bondage. And I can support why I worship on Sunday, but it's not a legal matter. We're free, right? On verse seven, on the first day of the week, when we gathered Together to break bread. When is that? You gather together. First day, you have collections of offerings. You have the Lord's Supper. Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day. So there he, there it is. And it's the first day of the week. It's, it's Sunday there. And then we go to Galatians chapter 4. It's right after 2 Corinthians. Galatians 4, verse 10 and 11. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. You're observing days, months, days, Sabbath days, you know, some of these other days we're talking about. You're doing that? It's just it's absolutely worthless. Everything I've done is, is in vain. It's, it's like I preached the gospel of grace to you, and now you're getting hung up on all these days, and you have to do this and have to do that and have to have everything lined up just perfectly. And man, aren't you glad we are set free from all that stuff? Aren't you glad we didn't have to bring our uh, not a pig, <laughs> our sheep here today?) Right? <laughs> We're free. Uh, anyway, look at Hebrews 4. And, and this is the one that really took meaning to me. And this is where it really hit to me where I got my answer on this. It wasn't that I was getting into legalistic, the worshiping on, on the Sabbath, seventh day. But I'm going, okay. Yeah, I, I, I believe those verses. But Hebrews 4 is so clear. He, The writer here is telling them, listen, you're on the borderline. It's a, they're neither hot nor cold. You know, it's kind of like one of those things. They're on the fence. And he says, you Jewish people who have come to our church meetings and you've witnessed all the things that have gone on and you've heard the Word of God. He says, don't be like the ones that were out in the wilderness whenever they were um, out there for 40 years. Like those Old Testament people, don't be like them. He says, today if you hear His voice in the heart in your hearts, and then we get into verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, now Joshua was the captain, he's going to bring them into the promised land, right? But there were people out there, the people that were disobedient didn't get to go into the promised land. All the ones that were 20 and over, remember those? They all failed to make it. Moses didn't even get into the promised land. He would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. A Sabbath rest. For the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Takes it all the way back to creation. God created six days, seventh day he rested. We, once we were brought to Christ, entered into his rest, that's our Sabbath rest. For the people of God. It's been fulfilled. So don't worry about that commandment that's in the Ten Commandments. It's been fulfilled in Christ. Does that mean, hey, there's no need to go to church then? We're already entered the retinas. That's missing the whole point because he says, as you gather together on the first day of the week, right? I mean, how else are we going to know about God? How are we going to know how to interact? How is the church to be built up and edified? It must meet. That's how we're strengthened. And so that's, that's why it, uh, you see it very early when they were meeting on that. It is not pagan. But the Sabbath day just thrives in cults or legalism. I haven't met somebody who worshipped on the Sabbath Saturday who was really free in Christ. I have talked to many of them. There's the Yahweh um, church or whatever. You've probably heard of that. I think they had one in Fulton one in Columbia. And then there were the ones that were uh, Armstrong followed him. You know, it was a mixture of Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses and a little bit of everything all mishmashed together. And uh, Anyway, that's the kind of stuff that goes along. Just you know, because of days. You see how people get so confused? And that's sad. Paul says, don't let anybody... Try to convince you of that. it's, it's, it's done. He says in verse seventeen, theme, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. They were shadows, pointing of what was to come. Christ, shadows of Christ in the cross, shadows. He's reality. The substance is Christ. He's already been here. So, shadows are pictures. They're types, symbols of a reality. The ceremonial law, festivals, days, weeks, months, years, moons, dietary, dietary laws. Christ has arrived. How would you like to see somebody? They come in and they, there's a shadow as they walk through there. And the person is really there and all of a sudden somebody just starts talking to the shadow. And they don't look at the person who's standing there, and you know, it's like they're right there, and they're looking at the shadow that's being cast as the light. (laughs) Wouldn't that be crazy? That'd be stupid. How would you like to be in a room and somebody not talking to you? They're talking, but they're not looking at you. How would you like to me if I just preached right here, and I could see you right there on the screen in in a reflection? That's... What Paul says. How about clothes? People get hung up on clothes. How about length of hair for men? How about jewelry, whether you have it or not? Beards, mustaches, makeup, hairstyles. Hairstyles for ladies, hairstyles for men, hats, movies. This is ever going on. It is unending. Um, Independent Baptists are notorious for their stressing the length of hair and the weight, how much it has to be cut up, and, you know, uh, never to be over the collar. Matter of fact, kids were kicked out of school if they wouldn't, if their hair was just a little bit over the length of their collar, or if they had some kind of facial hair, they'd be kicked out. They didn't cut that off. Uh, can you imagine that mustaches, beards? We have to wonder: Did Jesus ever have a beard? Well, Pictures, he did, mustache. I mean, seriously, folks. I mean, I can't imagine. And then. Women have to have a length of dress that goes maybe all the way down to the, the floor, maybe in, in certain places, but they are so holy. yet they have to wear black dresses. Oh now we're really getting into oh oh no, now the times have changed. Now they can wear pink and black, or purple and black. Now it's light blue all of a sudden. They might have a little they used to have hats that cover or veils that covered them completely. But now they've got a little bit of a piece of paper called a doily that's on there. And that's okay. People make up these rules. Make up these things that have nothing to do with what the Bible and Christ is all about. It's unbelievable how people judge others because of what they don't wear or don't act or what they do or what they don't do. And it has nothing to do with Scripture. Now, obviously, sin is sin. That's another thing. But the the church comes up with lists for new Christians of things that they can do and things that they can't do. And if you follow them, you are spiritual. And if you don't follow them, you're not spiritual. It's Christ plus a bunch of rules. Now we have legalism. And at heart, we're all legalists. It will never lead us into a higher way of spiritual life. The rule keepers really are filled with pride. That's what's bad about it because it goes back to self. This is, I have to keep up with what they're doing so I want to make sure I, I do this and I look a certain way. That's the outside. But people are not to judge spiritually based upon the outward. Christ said it. Paul said it. It's all throughout... The epistles, and what they do is they make secondary issues That's really not really that important, and they make them primary and it's listed above everything else. <laughs> and then they take, you know, the what the uh, they take secondary issues and make them primary. They take the primary issues and make them secondary. So we need to ask ourselves: Is it biblical? Where did that come from? Hmm, I don't even think that's biblical, is it? You know, we come up with those things. You know, it may not be what you would prefer, but what they're doing is what they prefer. And what you're doing may not be what they prefer, but it's what you prefer. (laughs) It's a preference. And so we don't get into each other's lies on little things like that. We need to ask ourselves, is it biblical or is it Cultural. Or is it personal preference? And so I've seen, and you've probably heard it, there's been literally hundreds, thousands of churches split because of music. Because they couldn't agree on it. That's crazy. There's just so many different kinds of music and music that is all over the world that the church uses. As long as those songs are geared to glorify God those can be done to glorify Him. I I think, you know, of course there's always going to be, you know, a certain limit what we're going to do, bring in, uh, you know, have a demon hunter sound in in our worship. Uh, Although they have some really good music and really good lyrics and really good stuff, it probably wouldn't be appropriate for a worship setting. Uh, But, you know, where does one, you know, draw the line? Uh, don't, Don't get too nervous. I don't think we're going to be bringing in demon hunter. Probably won't be doing a lot of skillet stuff. <laughs> but you know what? That's fine. If people like that, that's okay. What we have to do is concentrate on what true judgment is, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where it says, When God reveals the secret things of the heart, when God reveals the secret things of the heart, where's our motive? The principle that Paul is talking about is spirituality is not a matter of external ritual, but it's a matter of internal relationships with Christ. Don't let anybody intimidate you by the fact that you do something or don't do something, therefore you are spiritual or you are not spiritual. Christ is the one who judges us. Sometimes it's good for us to judge our motives. Why are we doing this? And yeah, it might be freedom, Romans 14 says, but be careful with that freedom because it can stumble other people up. So, anyway, Paul says that it's been summed up in Christ. Then he goes on to mysticism. Verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Here is Christ plus mysticism. We've seen Christ plus rules, legalism. Now it's Christ plus mysticism. It's pursuit of a deeper religious experience. It's a spiritual reality that one is trying to perceive apart from the mind even and apart from the natural senses. It's an experience that seems like it's really good, but it's completely apart from the Word of God. I have all sorts of this kind of stuff happening today. There are people who have spiritual expen- experiences they can't even define. They can tell you what they experienced And they say they've been touched by God. Maybe so. But they'll tell you they've had a higher, deeper, broader relationship with Christ because of that experience. And they really pull off of that experience that they've had in the rest of their lives they're looking for more experiences. Once you've had an experience of Christ, you wanted another you want a little bit more and more and so therefore they don't search in Scripture who Christ is and the experience of who He is. And here they want that experience that's outside of Scripture. And that is very very much down the wrong road. We never seek for experience we seek for the truth and our experiences and our feelings can lie to us. So does it line up with the word of God? First of all, and I know every one of you here have heard, well, God did this. he told me this and and I see God every morning when I wake up, whenever I'm shaving, I see God. He's he's standing right there. I'm speaking to the Holy Spirit. And and uh I think the question is, did you keep on shaving? <laughs> Which, you know, People fall before the Lord in humility all throughout the New Testament when something like that happens. I make light of that, but I'm telling you here is what is happening. The Colossians were not to let anyone defraud them of their prize. And that's the idea of an athletic term here associated with an umpire who disqualifies the contestant because he did not obey the rules. And so... Um, they forfeit the prize that they have. You know, there are, there are rewards that we'll all get. But if we get led off the path and start going after other things, we're going to lose rewards. Not salvation, but our rewards that um, we should have when we turn our attention away. Now, the humility was really being brought forth to the class. They were showing how humble they were. It's self-abasement. They would act humble. It was an act. That was the thing. But it sure looked good. It was a bogus humility. It really wasn't for real. They were deceptive pretenders. And it was like that of Uriah Heep of uh, English literature. You guys might have heard of that like back when maybe. Or lately. Uh, I'm well aware is what Uriah Heep said that I am the humblest person going. <laughs> he just blew it, didn't he? The moment we think we're humble, we have pride. <laughs> We've just blown it. We seek that humility, but um, we, you know that that pride is a is a tricky thing, isn't it? But they were showing they were religious and holy. Oh, the holy men! You've seen pictures of them. Oh, they're so holy looking. They have flowers all around them. They look so good, you know. And they're dressed in pink, <laughs> and white. <laughs> Oh, the flowing gowns, self-abasement that's an ugly pride isn't it that's what they had self-abasement so watch out for those people who look like they are really humble and they're trying to be humble watch out and the worship of the angels oh what's going on here they have worship of angels going on around there evidently so Paul says watch out this is false humility but it kind of gathers even further. I think it's worse than a false humility. What you have here are creatures of God that they in some sense are worshiping. Somehow they're they're worshiping angels. Angels are never to be exalted. Of course you look at Revelation and even John was gonna do that and the angel says, Hey, no no no, not me, you know. You know, get up. You know, you you don't fall down before me and worship. It's only God only. You know, He's the only one that'd be worshipped. There's nothing else. Colossian people were being, I guess, uh, threatened with a sense that, uh, hey, listen, you're not spiritual enough unless you have some kind of vision of angels and you worship them. Uh, The area around Colossae had a history of doing this very thing. And later on, there was a very early church father who wrote this. He says the disease which Paul denounces continued for a long time in Phrygia and Pisidia. That continued for a long time. That that was around there. It was going on in that area. Um, matter of fact, as late as A.D. 739, Michael the Archangel was worshipped in Asia Minor. That was a big thing, and you know, there is in the church. And he was given credit for miraculous cures uh, in Laodicea, and that's the, definitely the area where Colossae is at. There, uh, in a church synod, that was a meeting in the very early church day, three sixty three A.D. Three sixty three A.D. This stuff was going on, and they said, "Okay, we have to address this." Here's what they said. It is not right for Christians to abandon the church of God and go away to invoke angels. So, it was happening. It went on for quite some time there. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is only one mediator between man and God. That being Jesus Christ. What did they do with the angels? Well, they made angels as mediators. That's why they worshipped them angels were mediators since they were in some sense mediators of bringing the law at the time of Moses on the mount there somehow God used the angels there mentioned in Galatians Uh, so therefore he's mediators for salvation and speaking with and uh, communing with and uh, that was not to be and then he goes on and says taking his stand on visions uh, he has seen I'll tell you what, Satan knows how to give counterfeit experiences to people. And there are people, and we're all this way, we all have a desire for the dramatic, you know? Something that is really wowing. Something that nobody else has and experiences. And here's what I saw. You want to know what I saw? Here's what I heard and they base their whole lives around experience, and the Word of God means nothing to them anymore because why would you seek God that way when you have Him right here and you're seeing all the things that He appears to you as? Whew. That's what was coming through. The cults down through the ages claim support because of the visions they have. They claim they have seen these visions. And we know, we all know, in our times, in the advent of the charismatic age, which has been in just in the last few uh, generations, the charismatic movement has exploded as far as people getting interested because of all the things that happened. And then you have revivals down in Brownsville, down in Florida, up in Canada, the Toronto experience and such. People get stuck on the floor and are there for days. And... uh, uh it just goes on and on. Of course, we know about all the, you know, the speaking in tongues and people running up and down the aisles and all of those different things. And So if somebody's doing it and I'm not doing it, that makes me look spirit, less spiritual. So I've got to do it whether I believe it or not. So you've got a lot of people just faking it. You've got other people that really believe that something has really happened to them. And of course, Satan can work in all of this. He uses that. He's used it down through the years uh, quite often. There's no need for extra-biblical revelation through visions. There's no need for it. Can God do that? If He, I'll never limit God. If He wanted to do that, He can. But I will tell you, it will be a supernatural thing and it's going to be out of the ordinary and that's what a miracle is. Something out of the ordinary. It's not something standard that's going to happen. If you believe hard enough, this is going to happen to you all the time. And that is not true. Hebrews one one and two I think really explains it. We must be bound by script. Don't let people fool you on those things. What Paul is saying. Hebrews one one God after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, spoke in the prophets in many portions in many ways, many different ways He revealed Himself. He did it through angels. He did it even through a donkey, right? Even did it through a prophet who was really not a You know, you think of Balaam. But it says, "...in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power." And here's the key. "...when He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of of the majesty on high. Christ hasn't come back yet. Yes, He lives in our hearts and He rules in the kingdom, but He went to heaven. He is with the Father. One day He will come back. And people are claiming all sorts of visions that Christ has come. Here He is, there He is. Look, look, there he is. there's the Christ. There will be people claiming to be Christ and they'll fall after that. People will have visions of who that is. The thing is, He's not come back yet. Look for Him to come. That's great. But realize that we have all that we need in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son. And that's the usual, the very normal way that He speaks to us. So when you see some of those crazy things and experiences happening on TV, and then you look at the theology of these so-called preachers, and realize these are the guys that Paul is talking about. And I know I sound very harsh about it, but you know what? I have to be. I have to warn you. I am a pastor. I'm one who cares. And I know that sometimes God can intervene, but that is a rarity. And don't seek for it. Seek for what His truth is. We have more here than we can imagine. And... uh we ever need we are complete in Christ so those experiences is not what's going to add on to your spirituality some people write books and say they've gone to heaven and they went from mansion to mansion <sighs> pardon the the mansions you know in the King James it says mansion but you know it's like everybody's going to get their own mansion. The thing is, it's going to be one tremendous gathering, dwelling place that we have with Christ. And the word mansion is not a very good translation. So somebody took that. So that's what I saw. I saw mansions. And I just went from one mansion to another mansion. And then you have little six-year-old kids, whatever, writing books, and bestsellers, number one selling books saying they went to heaven and Others get on TV ministries and say they got their washing machine healed by God, and they got their TV sets healed, and they got their cars healed. They couldn't get their car started, and so therefore God came down, Christ sat in the seat, and uh, was able to do something with the ignition, and it started. You get those kind of things happening. Followers of Thomas Munzer going back uh, quite a few centuries, back to the time of Luther. He was a radical Anabaptist and he gave great prominence to the work and the gifts of the Spirit. No doubt are gifts of the Spirit that God has given us. But mystical knowledge was what he rode upon with his theology. And they had a cry. It was a supra-biblical experience that they have and they would say, the Spirit, the Spirit. That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? The Spirit, the Spirit. And so Luther replied, I will not follow where their spirit leads. <laughs> he knew what was happening. When they were granted the privilege of an interview with Luther, they gave their cry, The Spirit! The Spirit! You know what Luther said? <laughs> the great reformer Luther said this. He was not impressed. And he thundered back, I slap your spirit on the snout. <laughs> Knowing Luther, you know, he was pretty rough and gruff, but he knew what was going on. He knew that they were having these spiritual experiences that they had to be very careful with. You know what happens? It turns them into having a fleshly mind, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. They're inflated by gross spiritual pride. These ones who are the mystics, the mysticism that was coming in. They're not holding fast to the head as it says in verse 19. They're not holding fast to Christ. They're not living by faith. They want to live by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. Uh, Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17 We are justified by faith. The just shall live by faith. Trusting in God when we don't see Him. Just believing Him. And uh, So anyway, they're spiritually undernourished if they're not holding fast to the head. If they're believers, they are not holding fast to the head. They're not growing. There's no nourishment. I think they'll use this as intimidation whenever they have these kind of things and pride builds up. And there's clergy today I have to be careful in what I'm saying here, but we'll use the fancy robes and the white-collar routine in the front or in the back, and uh, that makes them be, in a sense, raised up above the people. They would never say that, but there is a spiritual pride behind that, and um, I've, I've seen it, and I experienced it as I got to order some of those things, and the people who would order those would have a sense of arrogance that they would let you know about as they would uh, try to get those. Anyway, I ordered them. But I didn't keep them in the store. Is it wrong? Not necessarily. I'm not going to put a legalism saying you can't wear those. But do you see what happens when... Where did those come from? Did we ever see it in Scripture? Do we really see those things that they have in the incense and all the extra things that come in? Where is it? Where is it biblically? That's why the Puritans had to fight so much against a lot of that stuff that was coming in and a lot of it stayed there. One other thing he warns against. He reminds them, if you've died with Christ, if you died with Christ, to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, right? He says you already died. You died to those things. You died with Christ. Remember in in chapter 2 we've already seen that. We were buried with Him in baptism and then we were raised. He says if that be the case, why are you going back to those things that really don't amount to a hill of beans? And asceticism is this. It's rigorous self-denial. It's monkery. It's selling everything and moving to a monastery. (laughs) They believe that true spirituality is self-denial. That's how you get to God. That's how you get closer. Rigid abstinence. This makes one spiritual. So they don't marry. They don't watch TV. They don't drive cars. They don't have any fun in general. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Asceticism. Sadly, church history is just replete with stories of ascetic exercise in the rejection of the beautiful and good things that God has given us in His creation. Foods and all that. and All just the beautiful, beautiful things that He's given us. And they even want to reject themselves. The self-made religion it doesn't do anyone any good. It heightens fleshly temptation. That's really what it does produces a joyless, defensive approach to life. The elementary principles of the world don't matter. Self-denial. It's trying to get to God on your own terms. It feeds the flesh by starving it. If I've done this, now God will really like me better now. Look how I'll look to people. According to Athanasius, A very good early church father. There was a guy by the name of Anthony who was the founder of Christian monasticism. (laughs) Oxymoron. Never changed his vest or washed his feet for years and years. All in the name of God. But he was outdone by a guy by the name of Simeon Stylites. Spent his last 36 years of his life atop a 50-foot pillar. Monks have been known to do things like this so that they'd be ahead in the spiritual life. Martin Luther, before he became a Christian, was one of those. Being naked, in the cold, in his little monk cell, trying to suffer for God. Crawling up the steps at the great cathedral in Rome. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch those decrees. Think of food. It even says, all things destined to perish with use. No pork chops for some people. <laughs> I like pork chops. I had some last night, as a matter of fact. I flaunt my freedom. <laughs> Look at this, the appearance of wisdom. Oh, in verse 22, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. I can't stand the teachings of men. If, if if it's outside Scripture, the teaching of men, oh, commandments, the rules, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. They, they look like this is the real thing. This is wise. This is wisdom. They only appeared more holy than others. They really weren't too wise. In Matthew sixteen or. Matthew 6, same thing happened. Jesus saw this stuff happening all the time. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they'll be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Yeah, right now. But when you you fast, anoint your head, wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret. If it's something you want to fast, then it's between you and the Lord. We don't have a fast day that we all have to do this at the same day. Sometimes it might be good to do, but it's not a rule. It's not a ritual. We don't have to do this. I know whole churches have done that at times and it was in a good way. I have to be really wise in saying all of this, but I'm taking it to the extreme. The way that Paul is here, because you know, it's always a danger. Self neglect, some denied themselves baths. Because they would see themselves naked. And, and so therefore, if they take my clothes off, I'm gonna see myself naked, and then I'm gonna see that. That's sin. That's sin to do that. So therefore I won't take a bath anymore. When some monks walked around, it was reported that vermin fell off their bodies because they were spiritual enough not to ever take a bath. This is how holy they were. It was all for the name of God, right? You see what I'm saying? Have <laughs> there, there, Rich Mullins was dabbling into that. It kind of bothered me. And there are other people I've heard from being Christian musicians have kind of thought about or have done it. John Michael Talbot. Hmm. Self-infliction. What? Self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. No value against fleshly indulgence. People, they're actually, every year a guy actually crucifies himself. Evidently he doesn't crucify himself to death, but he goes up on a cross. Some castrated themselves as an act of self-denial. How stupid is that? That's really going to give you some points, isn't it? Alexander McLaren said this, any asceticism is a great deal more to men's taste than abandoning self. They will rather stick hooks in their backs and do the swimming puja, whatever that is, than give up their sins and yield up their wills. Ascetic religion is godless, he says, for its practitioners essentially worship themselves. There are a lot of people today doing asceticism. Don't be caught up And looking at people that are holy, you find out they never even read the Word of God. They don't even take the Bible to church, but yet they're holy. They must be really good Christians. Watch out. Don't be led into false thinking. One priest said this, I think, or a monk, or whatever. I've committed myself to wear this thing for the rest of my life to attain holiness. What? What is it? Oh. This guy came from the Roman Catholic Church said, I have this thing underneath my shirt. It's all full of nails and pins. And I wear it underneath my clothes. It's right on my body. And I wear it all the time. And you know what? He says, it's an act of asceticism, but it attains holiness. And so he sets himself higher than others with this disillusioned individual acting and all it's doing is pandering to his flesh. Well, Paul finishes that. That's rather um, pointed, isn't it? He says, Colossians, be careful. All that stuff's going around. This stuff happens today. It's right here. Watch out. You have Christ. You have everything. You have His Word, you have all you need. You have His Spirit, you have all you need. Don't let anybody tell you that you can add to Christ. It's a system of works righteousness. And we don't need to add to it special visions and special revelations. We are complete in Christ. We don't feel less spiritual, do we? We're not. We don't practice self-denial. We hold fast to Christ. You know what the answer to legalism is? Grace. Grace. You know what the answer to mysticism is? How profoundly related we are to Christ. Not those other things out there that look so good. And then, how about asceticism? We already died. It says here in Colossians, we died with Christ. That is the ultimate. And we've risen with Christ. It's all found at the cross. And Paul says, remember that right let's pray father we thank you thank you for your word thank you for your truth thank you for these warnings although there may not be anybody here that has any trouble with any of these kind of isms that we spoke about we do know it's all around us and we can be threatened to believe some of those things if we are intimidated by people who seem to be on a higher road But yet we look back at Your Word and we thank You, not ourselves, but we thank You for the grace that You have given. For that is truly how we're saved and it's how we live by grace through faith. Thank You for Your Word that is so liberating. And we don't have to do those things in the Old Testament anymore as they were mere shadows. But they've been completed through our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who is risen, and we've risen with Him. In Jesus' name, Amen.